Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, uh, good morning again. As Ryan introduced himself, I'll tell you my name is Chad. For those of you who don't know me, one of the pastors on staff as well. And um, just want to say welcome to Covenant. Thank you all for being here this morning. We're thrilled that you're with us. And um, as you've heard already this morning, this January has been marked for us to focus specifically on God's mission in the world and then specifically also with that, our place in that mission, both locally to our neighbors here in Nashville and then globally across the world. And we've had so many things going on this month. It's been really an incredible experience and a team effort by so many, but I do just want to say thank you. Um, don't want to let this go by without saying that to Pastor Ryan. He was, he's done so much with this. He is our pastor of sending and I think Maria White was in the last service and Lynn Brown from our staff side. I want to publicly thank them and also to our session and specifically our missions committee and the team that labored for over a year working and praying um, for us to, to hear more about um, how God had been leading them over the last year. So I hope, I hope for your sake, I hope you learned. Um, I hope you felt like you grew. Um, I hope really that your heart has been stirred by the indisputable connection in the New Testament between the love of Christ and the mission of Christ. The love of Christ always compels us into the mission of Christ. And this morning, we're gonna continue along that road and look at perhaps the greatest missionary in the history of the church outside of Jesus himself. Um, That is the Apostle Paul. As we think about Paul's own heart for the gospel that he describes to us in the New Testament and specifically here in Romans. Now, um, many of us, if you've been around the Bible long enough, many of you hear the book of Romans and immediately think like heavy doctrine or like just really sound teaching, systematic theology, and all of that is true. It's one of the, you know, people call it the Magna Carta of the gospel where Paul kind of lays out so systematically um, the gospel that he's received from Jesus. But if you study Romans a little bit more, you'll see that that's not the only thing going on in the letter. Paul was also writing to address a sociological issue. And that issue was this, how in the world were the, were the Jews and the Gentiles supposed to get along together in one body, in one church? How were they supposed to love one another? How was the strong and the weak supposed to sort of fellowship together, the rich and the poor? So when you read Romans, you need to know that it's not just obviously doctrine that's on Paul's mind, it's relationships. and. What we learn throughout that book is that the gospel is the answer to our relational dysfunction. It destroys every hostility and division and dysfunction within the church itself. But then you get to chapter 15 and you see that there's actually another layer or another reason that Paul is writing this letter to the Romans and that reason specifically has to do with mission. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, then you know that he wanted the gospel always to push into places where it had never been before. And though at this point when he's writing the letter to the Romans, Paul had never been to Rome. He had never met them face to face. One of the driving reasons that he wanted to go to Rome is because he wanted the gospel to go to Spain beyond Rome where it had never been. And so basically in this letter, Paul is saying to the church in Rome, guess what? You're going to be my sending church. I'm going to be your missionary. And you're going to become the base of operations from which the gospel will now go forward to Europe in places it has never been before. 
So Romans, yes, is a theological letter. It's also a relational letter, but it's also significantly, significantly a missional letter. And those are all really important connections because in the wisdom of God, sound theological churches ought to be healthy relational churches and strong sending or strong missional churches as well. The gospel at the center, you have doctrine, and you have relationships, and you have mission. So we're going to read together this morning how Paul begins that letter, this missionary letter. And for our young disciples, and I would just say young disciples, uh, both young and old, here's what I want you to hear. Here's what I want you to notice. It will also be the outline this morning. Paul uses, in these first 17 verses, he uses three phrases to describe his heart his missionary heart, or his relationship to the gospel. Those are in three I am statements, and I want you to listen for those I am statements and try to remember them and talk about them with your parents as you lead today. So if you're able, would you stand now for the reading of God's holy word, starting in chapter one, verse one, reading through verse 17. You have it there in your handout in your order of worship if you're new with us. Here's how Paul begins the letter. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank, thank you for your word to us this morning. Um, we thank you for how you've given your word to us through people, through someone like Paul, who was once a deep, zealous persecutor of your people, whom you transformed to be your servant. And we pray that We might glean something from his life, his passion, his own calling, because it's under the apostolic calling that the the church even now finds its own vocation. So we pray that you would, Lord, you would tend to us individually and collectively. 
you would encourage us, that you would strengthen our faith this morning for your son's sake, in whose name we pray, amen. So you probably saw that, the three I am statements, verses 14 through 16, let's just look at them. How does Paul describe his own heart for the endeavor to which God has called him to be an apostle? He says first in verse 14, I am under obligation. Second, verse 15, he says, not only am I under obligation, but I am eager. And then there in verse 16, I am not ashamed. I am under obligation, I am eager, I am not ashamed. I am under obligation to those who have not yet received the gospel, and so I am eager to preach that very gospel to them, and I am not ashamed of the message, nor am I ashamed of the task to which God has called me. And we're gonna look at those this morning with some hope that Paul's heart might be a model for us as we continue with that task as the church. First of all, let's look at his first phrase, I am under obligation there in verse 14. I just wanna say this, it's pretty self-evident, but that when Paul uses those words, he's basically saying that the task under which God has called him is not an optional task. It's not something that he can just say yes or no to. And we can better understand the uh, nature of that obligation if we go back to how Paul actually introduces himself in verse one. It's the very first thing he says to the church at Rome. Remember, they've never met him before. You think about how you might describe yourself to someone whom you've never met. Here's how Paul does it. Paul says, Paul, name's good, a servant. That language is a bond servant of Christ Jesus. Now I get that the language of being a servant um, entails having a master and that probably for many of us rubs us the wrong way. But if you continue to read just that prologue, the verse two to five verses, you see that what Paul's actually doing here is opening his letter, he is challenging the governing ideology of the Roman Empire. The Roman emperors called themselves sons of God. Augustus addressed himself that way, so did Nero, so did Claudius. And what Paul is saying in verses three through four, no, 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 the true son of God, the true son of God is Jesus Christ, who is declared to be so by virtue of him being raised from the dead. Your emperors didn't do that. And this one is the only master that I answer to. And so when Paul calls himself a servant, I I don't want you to think about him as bowing himself or bowing his head and sort of saying all shucks and kicking the sand and denigrating himself. He's actually doing the opposite. He's sort of puffing out his chest and saying, I serve in the household and under the protection of the real emperor, the real ruler of the world. And what does that service entail in verse 14? He says in verse 14, it entails an obligation, an indebtedness to Greeks and to barbarians, to the wise and the foolish. Just ways of slicing up the world, in other words, to everyone who has not yet heard of the power of God for salvation in Christ. What Paul is saying there is serving Jesus has put me under their debt. Now, there are at least two ways to think about being in debt, and John Stott points this out in his commentary on Romans. He was a pastor in Great Britain. One way to think about being in debt is this. It's the way we typically think about it. If I borrowed $10,000 from you, then I am in debt, or I am under obligation to pay that back that $10,000. So I, I owe you the debt for which I borrowed. But let's just say that Ryan, Pastor Ryan, chooses to give me $10,000. Not a bad choice. Um, But Ryan does so with the instructions that I would give that money to Phil. I don't know where Phil is, but Pastor Phil. Phil would love that. 
In this case, I would be in the service of Ryan, but under the obligation or indebted to Phil. And I would owe Phil that money and it would be wrong for me to keep that money for myself. And Pastor Sot said, this is the obligation that describes Paul's heart here. He doesn't technically owe personally anything to the Greeks or the barbarians, but he does in fact owe them what Jesus has entrusted to him for their sake. And that describes our obligation at Covenant Presbyterian Church as well. We say this every week, you've heard it already in our confession of sin and assurance of pardon, the gospel that you have received, the gospel that we have received is pure gift. Jesus, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Paul will write later in Romans, the wages of sin is death, but some of you know this, the free gift is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It is God's gift to us, but what kind of gift is the gospel? It is not only a gift to us, it is also, Paul says, a gift that obligates us to be servants of the giver who are called to deliver that gift to others. And so who are the others? This isn't a hard question. They are everywhere. They are here in Nashville. The others are in your schools. They are in your neighborhoods. They belong to your clubs. They work beside you in your offices. In the world right now, there are 7.8 billion people who've been made in the image of God, 5.5 billion of whom do not identify as Christians. There are 17,000 people groups. People groups are defined by kind of culture and language and common life, common communication. 17,000 people groups, a third of those, 6,000 of whom are currently under the designation unreached. And that just means that there's no indigenous community, no church, where those 6,000 people groups could hear the gospel in a way that makes sense to them. And those numbers seem, they're overwhelming. Those are overwhelming numbers. But they are also the kind of numbers to which Paul said, I hear that and I feel obligated. And I appreciate what uh, a pastor named Sandy Wilson, some of you will know that name. He was a pastor at a church not unlike ours in Memphis for a long time. He said this to another church who was also not unlike ours. He said upon uh, sort of giving those numbers, he goes, you know what that means? It means we need a lot of missionaries. I mean, we, need a, we need a lot of missionaries. <laughs> and then he said this, do you know where those missionaries come from? They come from youth groups like this one. They come from Sunday schools. And VBS is like this one. Missionaries come from pews that you're sitting in right now. They always have and they always will because God has established his economy in such a way that it becomes the church's obligation to take the gospel to those who have not yet heard it. So we're all uncomfortable, but we need to pray. And we need to give, and we need to go according to that obligation. Second, Paul says, not only am I obligated, but I am eager. Verse 15 just follows it up right here. So, being under that obligation, I am also eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So here's what Paul's saying, not only do I have to do it, 
Woe to me, he says later, if I don't. But I am also excited about this. So Paul feels when he hears and knows about God's mission, he feels that God's mission is actually an adventure. And you know what this is like. I mean, some things we feel obligated to do, like get up and go to work on Monday morning, go to school, and we push through it, right? And we do it anyway. We, we pay bills. We do, those, we, we, we do obligations all the time that we're not eager to do. But wouldn't it be strange if we were called to preach what we believe to be, to be the, the best news ever? We call the, you know, the gospel means good news. The best news the news of life that never ends, of God's eternal favor, the news of Jesus' reign, the news of freedom from sin and death and judgment, the, the news of the renewal of all things. Now, can you imagine sharing that news only as an obligation as if it were a chain around our necks? There would be absolutely no integrity in that. And so Paul says, because of the news, I am eager to do this thing for which I am obligated because I believe the gospel is truly good news. When obligation and eagerness come together, you have good work being done. Listen to what the missionary Leslie Newbigin says. He says, there's been a long tradition which sees the mission of the church primarily as an obedience to a command. That's an obligation. This way of putting the matter is certainly not without justification, and yet it seems to me, he says, it misses the point. If one looks at the New Testament, one gets another impression. That mission in the New Testament begins always with an explosion of joy. The news that the rejected and crucified Jesus is right now alive is something that those authors believe cannot possibly be suppressed, it must be told. Who could be silent about such a fact? He goes on to say one searches in vain, through the letters of Paul to find any suggestion that Paul himself lays it on the conscience of his readers that they ought to be active in mission. For himself, it is inconceivable that they wouldn't be. Now, if we are honest this morning, how many of us would say that that describes us? Uh, not all of us all the time, nor most of us, any of the time? We're not as eager as we should be. What do you do about that? What do you do about a lack of eagerness? What do you do with a reluctant heart? What do you do with even a disinterested heart? Well, not all of you are Presbyterians, but here's what we do as good Presbyterians. We're supposed to do. We're supposed to start by just being honest about it. That's what we do every time we confess our sin. Can you confess that? Can you, can you be honest about the lack of eagerness in your own life? Can you be honest to God about that in prayer? And then can you thank God that his own love for you in Christ is not dependent on your eagerness for him? And of course, now all of a sudden you have something not just to confess, but you have something to be grateful to God that he has forgiven you for, right? And then you ask for repentance. And here's what I challenge you to do. Would you just ask God to change your heart? And would you pray something like this, Lord, would you actually make me eager unto this obligation? Because what we believe collectively here is that God is in the business of changing hearts and he's far more concerned 
about you becoming internally and externally like Jesus than even you are. And so if you're not eager, here we go. We confess, we pray, we ask God to make us more eager. Let me give you another challenge. Uh, You need to go to the mission field at some point. I'm not saying forever, okay? But go to the field and see what God is doing outside of your everyday routines. If you give money to this church, a good portion of your giving goes to over 40 of our mission partners. So for every dollar that you give, you are investing, you're making an investment in God's mission all over the world. All I'm telling you to do this morning is why don't you just go and check on that investment? Go see how your investment's going. Notice in verses 11 through 12, I love this. You see this in all Paul's letters. Paul is not content to just write to the Romans and to be a pen pal to them. Now, if you think about it, it would have been much cheaper and way more comfortable and, and more safe to use that strategy. But Paul repeatedly says, I'm gonna go see you in person. Why does he say that? So that his ministry might strengthen them. And we say, of course it would, he's an apostle. That's like what he's supposed to do. But notice also what he says in the end of verse 12, that he might be encouraged by their faith as well. And what Paul is saying here is that he believes he needs these Roman Christians to put courage, whom he's never met, to put courage into his heart. Paul needs the mission field for the strengthening of his faith. I'm telling you, so many of you have been before, but you go to the field or you go on a mission trip, a two-week mission trip or a week mission trip or three days, or you go like we did yesterday to our mission partners locally, and here is what inevitably happens after you get over being sick and the fact that you lost your luggage. Here's what happens. You come back and you say something like this, I thought that I was going to help them. I thought I was actually going to help them. I never imagined I never imagined how much they would be helping me. How much their faith and how much God's work in their lives would stir me and would bless me. Uh, It's not us giving to them, it's a mutually encouraging relationship whereby our own faith needs the field just as Paul's did. Not just an obligation, but an opportunity for us to grow. And then finally, Paul says in verse 16, He says, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, I I don't know this for sure. I just know that Paul wasn't perfect yet. And so, you know, he's working things out in his own heart. I I think that likely what's going on here is at least on some level, this is Paul preaching to himself. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Just like I do every Sunday here. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Saying that over and over, I am not ashamed of the gospel because in 1 Corinthians, Paul concedes as he's writing to that church, that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God for those who are being saved. And so what that means in Paul's life, and Paul himself experienced that, is that to many people, listen to the, to many people, no matter how well you love them, and no matter how humble your approach is with them, And no matter how thoughtfully you engage them, 
your belief in the necessity and the exclusivity and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ for salvation will make you look like a fool. It will render you uncool. No one wants to be uncool. Out of touch. And let me tell you, those opinions of you can have the power, that's why he's saying this, can have the power to make you feel ashamed or embarrassed. And what happens is it will cause you to privatize this part of your life and to shrink from mission. And this is not a teenage problem. All of us want people to look at us and accept us. And so what do we do? Paul says we have to be confident in the power of God that is contained in the gospel, first of all, for us. And what that means is that the love and acceptance that God has given to us by gifting the righteousness of Jesus to us, that power is the power that we rely on to fight all the time the shame in our hearts. You know this, but if you were to dwell in the acceptance of the king of the universe, the eternal acceptance of the king of the universe, and if as the gospel tells you that God is not ashamed publicly to call you his beloved, then why in the world would be ashamed to confess him before others? And so the gospel is the answer to our own shame in mission. But it's also the answer to the shame that we feel, we feel this all the time, when we say, you know what, we're, I'm just not very good at this. I don't feel like I'm equipped enough for this. You know, do, do you know this about Paul too? He, uh, he almost went right into, like he just, he saw a light and almost went right in. They had to like pull him aside and say, you gotta get, you gotta get equipped a little bit first, right? So, so that's Paul's story. And Paul says here that the gospel, not Paul, but the gospel, the word of the cross is the very power of God to change the hearts and the minds of those to whom we ascend. Now think about that for a second. I love what Kathy Keller, the late Tim Keller's wife, wrote a few years ago. I don't know where I got this, but I, I read it often. She wrote this to pastors. She said this, it is not programs and it's not clever preaching, but the gospel is the power. And she said, yes, I know that Tim is a good preacher. I've heard him more than any of you but I've also sat into the preaching of pastors who did not have good speaking gifts and I have wept and I've seen people converted because it was the clarity of the gospel, not the level of their giftedness. She said, always trust the message of the power of the gospel that God came to save his people through Jesus's life and death applied to their need, knowing that you are not facing the ultimate taskmaster and judge. But in Christ, the open arms of your loving Father, that message changes everything. And friends, you may or may not know this about Paul, but did you know that by Paul's own admission, I mean, you, we, we didn't know him personally, I get that, but by Paul's own admission, he was not a very good preacher. Not even a very good missionary. So when he goes to Corinth, he says this. He says, I was with you, Corinthians, I was with you. God sent me to you and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in trembling. Does that sound like a confident missionary to you? Weakness and fear and trembling. And he said, my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. I didn't even say it right. That's what he's saying. 
I didn't even say it good. But he says, I decided to know nothing among you but Jesus and him crucified, and it was in the demonstration of the spirit and a power that your faith came to rest, not in the wisdom of men, but in the wisdom of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe you have enough? The gospel is the mission. The field is everyone, pure and simple. And the gospel to remind you this morning, and I would encourage you to remind yourself of this, the gospel, you believe this, the gospel is beautiful. It is beautiful, it is powerful, it is necessary, it is a gift like no other, and there is no greater joy than to know that God has put us under obligation as his partner. That he promises to give an eager heart to everyone who asks him. That he has lifted our shame that we might proclaim him to the world. And so he sends us out to go. He sends us out to go in faith with the faith that he has first gifted to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your servant, Paul, and thank you for time to reflect even this morning on what it's like to embody the apostolic task that you gave your first followers to take the news of your salvation and your triumph to peoples of every race and tongue and nation. And Lord, we do pray. We do pray that the knowledge of your son, your love for us, the lifting of our own shame, the safety and the protection that we abide under as servants of the true king, that that would compel us to go as well. Would you grow in us an eager heart? Would you grow in us an enthusiasm? Lord, would you give us confidence, we pray, not in ourselves, but in the message of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. It's in his name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about Covenant, please visit covenantprez.com.